This is Global Marxism, and I am Frank Goss. I appreciate your participation and hope this information provides you with food for thought as we consider the confusion we're facing in America today. I'm going to be going through a book that was written by a gentleman named William Jasper. It's called The United Nations and the Emerging New World Order. I'm going to give you a rundown here of Mr. Jasper and some of his biographical information. William Jasper was born in Madison, Wisconsin. He grew up in the Pacific Northwest and received a bachelor's degree in child psychology and education from the University of Idaho. The New American publication of the John Birch Society, where Jasper has worked since 1985. In 1976, Jasper joined the John Birch Society as a researcher. And soon he began to write for its magazines, The American Opinion and The Review of the News. And when they merged in 1985, he was writing for The New American. In 1990, he became a senior editor. Jasper has written on foreign and domestic politics, national security, education, immigration, constitutional issues, the culture war, and most notably, the United Nations. He has appeared on radio and television. He's married with a wife named Carmen and with whom he has had two sons. Jasper discusses the Oklahoma City bombing in the 2004 documentary, Conspiracy. His essay, Increased Federal Funding is Wasteful, appears in the 1994 book, Water, Opposing Viewpoints, as an example of a right-wing position. His essay, Militias Can Achieve Their Goals Through Peaceful Means, appears in the 1997 book, The Militia Movement. His essay, Subversion Through Perversion, appears in the 2006 book, Good Reasons with Contemporary Arguments, as an example of right-wing writings. His name, book, Global Tyranny, and essays, Reviewing the Rhodes Legacy in 1995 and Why Not World Government in 1996, appear in the 2005 book, Freedom, a Fading Illusion. His essay, Obamacare, The Plan is to Transition to Single-Payer Socialized Medicine, appears in the 2014 book, The Affordable Care Act. Books that he has written are Global Tyranny, Step-by-Step, The United Nations, and Their Merging New World. The United Nations Exposed, The Internationalist Conspiracy to Rule the World. An interview he has done is called William Jasper, North Idahoan and New American, The Curl Dalin Press, February 14, 2015. There are selected articles. One is called Conspiracy Realities that appeared in the New American, Shooting the Messenger. Newt Gingrich as VP would bring a big China problem to Team Trump. Brexit, Rejecting Globalism. Council of Councils, Council of Foreign Relations, Deep State Convenes, Latest Globalist Confab on World Order. Did CIA technology change the election results? Questions. So we're going to be looking at what Mr. Jasper has written. And skeptics and doubters have met their match in this man. There's no way to discredit what he has to say. You can argue against it, but with the facts that are supported, this remarkable book is far more than just a compendium of facts. Jasper offers instruction in political theory, the wisdom of our founding patriots, the essence of human nature, and world politics from the 1900s to the present. Jasper's goal is not merely to present relevant facts, but to present them in such a comprehensive, related way that their full meaning and significance open the reader's mind to what is really happening in our world today. No other writer has covered this material or this time span with both the devotion to incisive detail 
and the ability to pull all the threads together that Jasper demonstrates. His picture makes sense out of incoherence. After 45 years of misinformation and obfuscation about the United Nations, here at last, its role becomes crystal clear. This book was printed in the United States of America. Be walking through it for, the next, for our next series. Introduction America and the world stand on the brink of one of the most perilous epochs in this planet's history. According to the purveyors of conventional wisdom, they say communism is dead. The Cold War is over. And the greatest threat to world peace and security are rampant nationalism, inequitable wealth, overpopulation, and environmental degradation. Yet the threat to a just world peace and a comity among nations and peoples comes not from political fragmentation or holes in the ozone or greenhouse gases and overabundance of people or a shortage of natural resources or even from the frequently offered scenarios of rogue elements in our former USSR acquiring control of nuclear weapons. The true imminent danger to America and to all nations seeking peace and goodwill stems from the widespread acceptance of the monstrous falsehood that in order to live in an interdependent world, all nation states must yield their sovereignty to one in power, the United Nations. This lie is given dignity by other lies, chief of which is that the Soviet totalitarianism has been buried forever. A too wide acceptance of these dangerous falsehoods is resulting in a massive transfer of wealth from the taxpayers in the West to the still socialist governments of the East that remain under the control of the former communists. The gradual but accelerating merger or convergence of the U.S. and Russia and China through increasing economic, political, social, and military agreements and arrangements, and the rapidly escalating transfer of power, military, regulatory, and taxing to the UN. Unless the fiction underlying these developments is exposed, national suicide and global rule by an all-powerful world government are inevitable. The Bush administration, Time Magazine noted on September 17, 1990, would like to make the UN a cornerstone of its plan to construct a new world order. That observation merely stated the obvious. In his speech to the nation and the world on September 11, 1990, Mr. Bush stated, Out of these troubled times, our fifth objective, a new world order, can emerge. He proceeded to announce his hopes for a united nation that performs as envisioned by its founders. It became abundantly clear to veteran students of world order politics that a major new push for world government had begun. Only a few years ago, any such attempt would have flopped miserably. During the 70s and 80s, the United Nations record as an enclave of spies, a sinkhole of corrupt spendthrifts, and an anti-American propaganda forum for terrorists, third world dictators, and communist totalitarians had thoroughly tarnished its carefully manufactured image as mankind's last best hope for peace. From 1959, when the UN could boast an 87% approval rating, the annual Gallup poll showed a continuous decline in popularity for the organization. By 1971, a Gallup survey reported that only 35% of the American people thought the UN was doing a good job. By 1976, five years passing, Gallup claimed that the support had dropped to 33%. In 1980, it dropped even further to an all-time low of 31%, and at no time since 1945 
said Dr. Gallup, referring to his latest figures, has satisfaction with the overall performance of the world organization been as low as it is today. The John Birch Society's long and frequently lonely billboard, bumper sticker, petition, letter writing, and pamphleteering educational campaigns to get U.S. out of the United Nations has made good sense to many Americans. In the early years of the Ronald Reagan administration, United Nations bashing became positively respectable, even fashionable. The United States ambassador to the UN, Jane Kilpatrick, could be seen and heard almost daily denouncing the world's bodies, anti-Americanism, tyranny promotion, and physical profligacy. Editorials opposing the UN actions and the organization itself begin appearing with frequency in local and regional newspapers and occasionally even in major national news outlets. Anti-UN sentiment had already reached the point in 1981 that veteran UN watcher Robert W. Lee could report in his book, The United Nations Conspiracy. Today, the UN is increasingly regarded not as a sacred cow, but rather as a troika composed of a white elephant, a Trojan horse, and a Judas goat. The supermarket tabloid star, while not exactly a consistently reliable heavyweight in the news and analysis category, expressed the sentiments of a large and growing segment of the American people with a November 3, 1981 article by Steve Dunleavy entitled, Rip Down This Shocking Tower of Shame. In March of 1982, syndicated columnist Andrew Tully authored a piece headlined, Mayor Koch Should Chase UN Out of Town. Many similar articles and editorials could be cited, but perhaps one of the most surprising was the August 24, 1987 cover story by Charles Krauthammer for the New Republic entitled, Let It Sink, The Overdue Demise of the United Nations. But the advent of Mikhail Gorbachev's new thinking in the late 1980s coincide with the beginning of a remarkable rehabilitation in the public's image of the UN. First, Gorbachev, then Boris Yeltsin, won plaudits for reversing the traditional Soviet, or Soviet surrogate, practice of using the United Nations as a venue for strident anti-American diatribes. Yasser Arafat and his PLO terrorists dropped their regular anti-Israel philippics, and the United Nations peacekeepers won a Nobel Prize and a worldwide praise for their roles as Moderators in Afghanistan, Cambodia, Central America, Southern Africa, and the Middle East. Then came Operation Desert Storm, the Holy War against the aggression of Saddam Hussein. The United Nations was once again the world's last best hope for peace. Suddenly, UN peacekeepers began to appear almost everywhere, with more than 40,000 troops in the field in Africa, Asia, Europe, Central America, and the Middle East, and every new day now brings new appeals for the world body's intervention and expertise. On United Nations Day 1990, a new Gallup poll indicated that American support for the United Nations is higher than it had been in over 20 years. According to the National Polling Organization, 54% of Americans now think the United Nations has done a good job of solving problems it has had to face. The poll sided with the rapprochement between the USSR and the United States and the dissolution of the Iron Curtain as well as the developing Persian Gulf situation as major factors contributing to the enhancement of the United Nations image. Gallup reported that almost 6 out of 10 Americans think that the United Nations had been effective in helping deal with the Iraq-Kuwait crisis, with only 8% saying that the United Nations has not been at all effective. Even more disturbing, if accurate, is the poll finding that 61% of those surveyed 
thought it was a good idea to build up the United Nations Emergency Force to a size great enough to deal with a brush fire or small wars throughout the world. The euphoria following the Persian Gulf hostilities temporarily boosted George Bush's approval rating to an all-time high for any president. Rude economic realities, however, and an accumulating number of political problems then caused his star to plummet just as rapidly as it had risen. The United Nations gains, however, appear to have been more durable. As reported by Richard Morin, UN real winner after Gulf War, Salt Lake Tribune, January 24, 1992, our survey by the Americans Talk Issues Foundation found that approval for the United Nations actually increased from 66% in June of 1992 to 78% in November, a period when other measures of war induced euphoria were sinking quickly. The Tribune reported half of those questioned, 51%, agreed that the United States should abide by all world court decisions, even when they go against us, because this sets an example for all nations to follow. That was up from 42% in May. More than half would also support increasing the amount of dues that the United States pays to the UN to help pay for a UN space satellite system to detect and monitor such problems as armed movements, crop failures, refugee settlements, and global pollution. And remarkably, 38% of those questions said United Nations resolutions should rule over the actions and laws of individual countries where necessary to fulfill United Nations functions, including ruling over U.S. laws even when our laws are different. Now, while we recognize that pollsters often structure their polling questions to achieve results that will influence rather than accurately reflect public opinion, and these surveys may be exaggerating the rise of the pro-UN sentiment, there is little doubt that the World Organization is experiencing a dramatic turnaround in citizen acceptance. In large measure, this has resulted from the enormously effective United Nations drum-beating campaigns of the establishment news media. The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and Washington Post have led the way with an avalanche of fawning editorials, news stories, and op-ed columns glorifying the alleged accomplishments and yet-to-be-realized potential of the United Nations. These pro-UN public relations pieces have been reprinted in thousands of newspapers and have also found their way into the mainstream of broadcast journalism. Unfortunately, the religious media have followed along with their secular brethren in promoting this unquestioning faith in the salvific capability of the United Nations. One of the more egregious examples of this misplaced fervor appeared in a lengthy January 19, 1992 editorial in Our Sunday Visitor, the nation's largest Catholic publication. Headlined, UN Unsurpassed, the piece declared, if the John Birch Society had its way and the United Nations had ceased to exist back in the 1950s, 1991 would have been a far more dismal year. The editorialists then proceeded to praise the UN's latest accomplishments. It's unlikely that international support from the liberation of Kuwait and the dismantling of the Iraq war machine would have been so easily marshaled by the United States. Cambodia's warring factions would most likely still be warring. Terry Anderson and his fellow hostages would still be languishing in Lebanon. Croats and Serbs would still be locked in their death grip with no international organization pressing for a ceasefire and El Salvador would still be a vast cemetery slowly filling up with the victims of its fratricidal opponents. 
Now, in its fifth decade of existence, the United Nations is finally coming into its own, thanks in part to the demise of the superpower standoff that hobbled the international organization for much of its existence. Nations are now finding the mediation efforts of the UN negotiators preferable to either unilateral actions or a bloody status quo of unwinnable conflicts. Similar paeans of praise can be found in leading Protestant periodicals. New Age publications, which have multiplied in number and influence in the past decade, virtually worship the United Nations. Readers of this book will be in a far better position to benefit from our presentation in the pages that follow and to understand unfolding world events if they keep in mind the two major principles underlying virtually all of our federal government's foreign and domestic policies. Convergence and Interdependence The plan to bring about a convergence or merger of the United States and the USSR is not a recent policy response to the supposed reforms that came under Gorbachev or Yeltsin. The idea of a merger first came to light officially in 1953 when public concern over large tax-exempt foundation grants to communists and communist causes prompted Congress to investigate. Of particular concern were the funding activities of the Carnegie, the Ford, and the Rockefeller Foundations. Perhaps the most startling revelation of that investigation came when the Ford Foundation president, H. Ron Gaither, admitted to Norman Dodd, staff director of the Congressional Special Committee to investigate tax-exempt foundations. He said, of course, you know that we at the executive level here at Ford were at one time or another active in either the OSS or the State Department or the European Economic Administration. During those times, and without exception, we operated under directives issued by the White House. We're continuing to be guided by just such directives. The substance of these directives was to the effect that we should make every effort to so alter life in the United States as to make possible a comfortable merger with the Soviet Union. Surprise, surprise. At that time, even though the activities of the Foundation coincided exactly with Gaither's startling admission, It was simply too fantastic for any American to actually believe, and it still is. Asked to assess such information, most Americans would ask, why would some of our nation's wealthiest and most powerful capitalist elitists use their great fortunes to promote such a goal? This compelling question has stymied many good Americans for decades, and does so even more today. If you, too, are perplexed about this seemingly suicidal practice, You'll find it explained and condemned in the pages that follow. Of one thing, there can be little doubt. Our nation is plunging headlong towards convergence and the eventual merger referred to by Round Gaither many years ago. Simultaneously, our nation, along with the other nations of the world, is being steadily drawn into the tighten noose of interdependence. Our political and economic systems are being intertwined and increasingly are being subjected to control by the United Nations and its adjunct international organizations. Unless this process can be stopped, it will culminate in the creation of an omnipotent global governance and an end to nationhood, as Walt Whitman Rostow once phrased the goal he shared with many others. These were, and still are, the ultimate objectives of Gaither, his world order cronies, and their modern-day successors. 35 years after Mr. Gaither's admission, United States Senator Jesse Helms, a Republican out of North Carolina, warned America of establishment insiders 
who were seeking to bring about this one-world design with a convergence of the Soviet and American systems at its centerpiece. They were looking to bring this into reality. The influence of establishment insiders over our foreign policy has become a fact of life in our time, the senator charged. It is an influence which, if unchecked, could ultimately subvert our constitutional order. This was said in 1987. Senator Helms also identified the organizations through which these insiders operate. A careful examination, is what he said, of what is happening behind the scenes reveals that all of these interests are working in concert with the masters of the Kremlin in order to create what some refer to as a new world order. Private organizations such as the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Trilateral Commission, the Dartmouth Conference, the Aspen Institute for Humanistic Studies, the Atlantic Institute, and the Bilderberger Group serve to disseminate and to coordinate the plans for this so-called New World Order in powerful business, financial, academic, and official circles. Today, we have Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, and many, many others. Unfortunately, because of the tremendous power that these establishment insiders wield in our major media, Senator Helm's warning never reached the American people. They never heard about it. It was drowned under a flood of one-world propaganda on the Gorbachev Revolution and the new potentialities for world peace through a revived and strengthened United Nations. Yet, contrary to the many seductive pro-UN siren songs, the lessons of history about the relationship of man to government loudly and clearly proclaim that far from guaranteeing a new era of peace and security, the centralization of political and economic power on a planetary level can only bring about global tyranny and oppression on a scale never before imagined. In late September of 1938, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain journeyed to Germany for his third meeting with Adolf Hitler. Blind to the menace of Hitler's New World Order, Hitler's own words, Chamberlain returned from that now infamous meeting brandishing an agreement he had signed with der Führer and proudly proclaiming that he had won peace and honor and peace for our time. He was greeted with clamorous huzzas by British politicians, the press, and throngs of citizens who blindly called the betrayal peace. Within months, Europe was convulsed in conflict, and soon even America was dragged into the bloodiest war in world history. The peril America and the free world face today in 2022 is every bit as real, though far greater in scope, than what a peace-hungry war faced in 1938. National sovereignty is threatened as never before. As United Nations power grows, the entire world stands on the brink of an era of totalitarian control. We, as a nation, must pull back before it's too late. Before it's too late to save our country, our freedoms, our family, and everything else we hold dear. What we're going to discuss in this book claims the New World Order under the United States would mean an end to your God-given rights guaranteed by the United States Constitution i.e. freedom of religion, speech, press, and assembly, and the right to trial by jury, national and personal disarmament along with conscription to U.S. citizens into the United Nations Army or police force to serve at the pleasure of the U.N. hierarchy, the end of private property rights, and the ability to control your own home, farm, or business, economic and environmental regulation at the hands of United Nations bureaucrats, loss of your rights as parents, to raise and instruct your children in accordance with your own personal convictions and beliefs. Coercive population control measures that will be determined when or if you may have children. Unlimited global taxation. 
a centrally managed world monetary system that will lead all but the ruling elite into poverty. Environmental controls that will mean the end of single-family homes and personal automobile ownership. The enthronement of an occult, new age, and new world religion. Communist-style totalitarian dictatorship and random, ruthless terror, torture, and extermination to cause all people to willingly bow in abject submission. All of this need not happen. As late as the hour has become, and it is very late, it is still not too late to avert catastrophe and save our freedom. The world's future need not degenerate into what Orwell wrote would resemble a boot stamping on human face forever. But the urgency of our situation cannot be overstated. Simply put, unless significant numbers of Americans can be awakened from their slumbers, shaken from their apathy and ignorance, pulled away from their diversion such as television, the mass media, and entertainment, and convinced to work, pray, vote, speak up, struggle, and fight against the powers arrayed against them, then such a horrible fate surely awaits for all of us. The terms establishment and insiders will be used throughout this text as we read to refer generally to the elite coterie of one, the one-world-minded individuals associated with the organizations named above by Senator Helms. For identification purposes and to demonstrate the inordinate and dangerous influence of and what these interests wield, the individuals who are or have been members of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission will be so noted parenthetically in the text as CFR or Trilateral Commission TC, respectively. The people never give up their liberty, but under some delusion. This is what Edmund Burke wrote in 1784. This is Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come. 